Hey, this is Alex Turcotte. Hey, this is Doc Emmerich here. Hey, this is Sean Avery. Hey, this is Jamie Baker. Hey, this is Jason Zucker. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by Bob McElliott of the Columbus Blue Jackets, play-by-play announcer for the radio. Bob, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. So how was the transition between the American League with the Crunch to the Pro with the Columbus Blue Jackets? Give us some insight into the transition from the American to the National League. Well, it's uh, the transition, I think just like a player, it is the speed of the game. I started in the East Coast Hockey League in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Then I went to Syracuse in the American Hockey League. That step, you saw the game get faster. And then going from the American Hockey League to the National Hockey League, it gets even faster. And the reason that the speed increases is because the players are better. If I go back to my days in the East Coast League, there were many passes that were behind a guy or a little bit too far out in front of them, or they hit a guy in the skates, and, and it wasn't crisp. Uh, you get into the American League, and that's cleaned up. Uh, quite a bit more and then by the time you get to the national hockey league guys barely miss on their passes uh they're tape to tape for the most part which creates a good speed and a good rush up the ice so um that's that's the biggest thing and and from a a play-by-play announcer standpoint you cannot describe every single thing that happens in a hockey game you just can't because of that speed you can't say the name of every guy that touches the puck and you can't go into a lengthy description about what they do with the puck it's really training yourself to pick out the most important parts of the game and make sure that those parts are talked about. Uh, All of that play between the blue lines when there's really nothing going on there, that doesn't matter as much. But every time there's a legitimate scoring chance when a team enters the zone, now that matters, and you've got to be on that. So the speed of the game uh, and the way it's played affects the the speed of your thinking. You've got to really make those transitions in your mind a lot earlier. You have to be able to realize you know, what's, what's a real threat and what's not really a threat so that you can go about the way you're portraying the entire game. Yeah, so you have so much fire when you're behind the mic. How did you develop your style of play-by-play for behind the mic, and where do you get all the energy from? Well, I mean, I, I love the game, and I know that whatever I say on the air doesn't affect what's going on in the game. You know, I can't affect the outcome of the game, but I'm a fan. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm closer than a fan. I travel with the team. I'm around the team. Uh, I know the players very well. Uh, I want them to win. I want them to win because it makes my job easier. I want them to win because it's better for them. It's better for the city, the whole nine yards. But, you know, when you're a part of it, you don't want to lose. You're just like a coach or a player. You don't want to lose. Yeah. So that, that's where it comes from for me. I mean, I'm really excited when they're winning. I'm really ticked when they're losing. And, um, you know, I've had people say to me, I turned the game on, and I knew right away we were behind because you didn't sound happy. Well, no. And, and, and who is? And I don't think, like, to me, I see myself as uh, if, if you're the fan, what would your feelings be like in this situation? Exactly. And, uh, that's what mine are, and, and that's the way it comes across. Now, you know, if you're doing a national broadcast, that doesn't cut it. But when you're broadcasting for a team and the people that are tuning in are there for that same team and the same reasons, it works. Yeah, it works. You got to get the the homebody energy behind it, and that's that's what we need. Like with Pat Foley on the on the NBC Sports Network, and we've got with John Weidman on seven twenty. I mean, you're you're just that guy, kind of guy. You get you get the you get the crowd going. You want to make sure they're having a good time, and you want to portray the energy of the game. So shifting gears a little bit to Chicago and Columbus, the legacy there. You were on the other side of the Brandon Sauter Temi Panarin trade. How did you react to the news, and how did Panarin evolve over his time here in Columbus? 
Well, I'll be honest with you. In both cases, I was extremely surprised. When both of those trades went down, I was really surprised like everybody else. And I think that uh, one thing that the Blue Jackets general manager, Jarmo Kekalainen, is good at, and he proved it in both of those deals, uh, he can pull off big trades, and he can do it without people finding out, which is uh, what's well, not normal in this day and age with social media. I mean, everybody finds out everything. But both of those deals were pretty much out of nowhere, out of the blue kind of deals. Uh, when Brandon Sod first came here, I couldn't have been more excited about it. Uh, I'm from the Pittsburgh area. You know, that's where I grew up. So, you know, he was a Pittsburgh guy coming here closer to his family. Oh, wow, yeah. A couple of uh, couple of uh, rings with the Chicago Blackhawks already. I, I thought that was uh, going to be a really good fit. And he did some good things here. But, you know, as we all know now, it, it didn't work out the way that everybody had hoped that it would work out. And uh, I thought Yarmo did a great job when he sent him back there. And he was able to get Artemi Panarin. And, you know, Panarin is just, look, you don't replace him in a lineup. No. that out this year. Uh, but he was uh, he was the best player on this team for two years. There's no question about it. It's disappointing he didn't want to stay, but that was his choice. He could go wherever he wanted to go, and um, so he decided to go on to New York. But you know he did he did so many things. He helped this organization take uh, a big step forward. And again, it is a big offensive hole not having him here. But I think the players that played with him in the last two years, I think they learned a lot about uh, many things to carry yourself, uh, you know, just the, the, he did so much work off the ice. And, you know, everybody looks at his points. I see the highlight goals that he scores and all that. If you think that comes from pure natural ability and just uh, showing up without putting any work into it, you're wrong. And uh, he was one of the hardest workers. And I think the guys that played with him, uh, for some of them, that's they got uh, they got great experience from that. And Oliver Bjorkstrand this year, he was, uh, until he got hurt, he was having the best offensive year that he's had in the NHL and he's a very similar player to Artemi Panarin being that he's a he's a smaller guy he, he doesn't have a lot of uh, you know he, he's a really skinny guy out of out of uniform uh, you might not know that he's a pro athlete but uh, he learned how to battle along the walls from watching Artemi Panarin he learned how to get into position to shoot I think that uh, this year what we saw from him in particular was a lot of those lessons being put into play so that's what Artemi was really good for this organization, helping it grow and help the guys that he played with the work. Yeah, shifting gears back to Oliver Bjorkstrand, you know, before the injury happened, he was on the best offensive tear of his career. How do you envision him bouncing back in the remainder of the year or next year if there isn't a season this year? Well, I think he's going to pick up where he left off because it's been a really slow start for him these first couple of years. You know, John Tortorella has been hard on him because he expects a lot out of him and in the previous two years, when he wasn't delivering, he would find himself on the fourth line, or he would find himself as a healthy scratch. And again, those lessons, I think, have really, uh, they've helped him to be who he is this year. He gets it more, he's older, he's more mature. As I said, he's learned how to battle and how to do some things better in his own game. And he is one of the biggest offensive threats on this team. So, you know, he can have a bad game or he can have two bad games. I don't think he has to worry about being a healthy scratch as quickly as he did a couple of years ago. So, you know, I think now that he's got more confidence in his own abilities, he's more comfortable with where he is professionally as a player, that uh, I think he'll pick up where he left off, quite frankly, uh, because he had done that. He got hurt earlier in the year, and uh, he came back. He picked right up where he left off before he got hurt a second time. So I think uh, that it's really going to become – 
the new normal for Oliver Bjorkstrand to be one of the top offensive stars on this team. Yeah, taking over the reins where Artemi Panarin left off. You know, shifting gears back to last season, you were on the air for the first ever playoff series win and sweep for the Columbus Blue Jackets against the top-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. What was the atmosphere inside Nationwide and in Columbus in general after almost 20 years of waiting? Well, it was unbelievable. And, and, you know, for years you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs and, you know, you know when you have good crowds, when you're sitting in your living room watching on TV, you can feel the energy coming through the TV. And I had always said, man, I just want to be in that situation one time. I just want to feel it. And there have been other playoff games here. There's no question. And there have been great energy in them. But I didn't realize that really top of the, the just the top of the mountain uh, energy like in games three and four of that Tampa series here in Columbus last year because um, you know you had a team that had 62 wins during the regular season uh, you know they're playing for records and they were the best of the best and everybody thought there's no way that the eight seed can knock off the one seed in that series and you go to Tampa and you get down three nothing in the first game and then you come back and you win the game and, and then you take the second game and it's 2 nothing, and you couldn't get too excited if you were a Blue Jackets fan because the year before they had done that in Washington, went up 2 nothing, yeah. went up 4 straight. But they came back, and uh, once they got the third win, I still didn't think it was going to be a sweep, to be honest with you. I thought Tampa was too good. They weren't going to let that happen and make sure they got back home. But uh, the Blue Jackets had other ideas, and it was just uh, an incredible thing to be a part of. It's a shame it ended in the next series after six games, but it's one of the greatest upsets of all time, and... You know, I can always say I was there for it. Yeah, I remember going absolutely nuts because, you know, Panarin was there, Bjorkstrand, Bobrovsky, you know, Duchesne. I know some of those guys aren't here now, but the fact remains is those guys were in a Blue Jacket sweater and they represented that city. And that put that, like you said, it put Columbus a huge step ahead. Going to the coaching staff now, John Tortorella, one of the most famous coaches in the National Hockey League. We know he gets fired up. We know he's got energy. What is he like? to talk to in person you know what's he like as a broadcaster as a player interviewing him john tortorella is a terrific human being he is a great person he is a very caring person you know if you want to go to youtube and search john tortorella and watch all those clips which is the very thing that i did the moment that he got hired here a couple years ago if you want to watch that uh you could think that uh this guy's full of himself and he's not a very good guy and all of that and you will find out very quickly when you spend any time with John Tortorella just how opposite that is. Um, he is uh, He's great. Uh, he really is. And he's been great to me throughout my time here. Um, you know, I had a couple of things that helped me early on. First of all, I worked with Jody Shelley, and Jody had played for him with the New York Rangers for a little bit. So, you know, when you get a new coach or even anywhere in this business, if, if you have somebody – like that and somebody that they trust like a Jody Shelley comes up and just says hey you know he's he's a good guy you don't have to worry about you know anything you talk to him about that helps um also I had climbed my way up through the minor leagues just like John Tortorella did as a coach uh I know that he respects that we've had many conversations about that but he is just open and honest and in this day and age when everybody is uh, very calculating about what they say and they're, they're careful about um, how they talk about players. There are some coaches, and I've worked with some of them, that you could tell when you ask them a question, when they're answering it, you can see it in their face. Uh, they're answering uh, based on, well, what if the player hears this? What are they going to think? What if my general manager hears this? What are they going to think? 
John Tortorella could care less. He's <laughs> going to tell you the truth. He's going to give you the truth from his standpoint. Player might disagree. General manager might disagree. But for him, it's the truth as he sees it. And he's not going to hold back on it. And that's what's great about him. And, I, and we have a very good relationship. Uh, we're very close. He's Look, he's one of those Northeastern guys, too, where you know, a lot of times when they're giving you grief, you better give it back to them right away. <laughs> if you don't, they're going to they're gonna run your life, right? Yeah. So um, I give it back to him all the time and I always have since he came here. And I, and I think that I've, I've gained his respect through that. And we, you know, he does it a lot of times just to get me to go back at him and see what I'm going to do. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, and it's, to be honest with you, it's helped me get better as a broadcaster because when he first got hired, uh, one of the first uh, people that I called was Kenny Albert from the New York Rangers because Torch had spent so much time there. And I asked Kenny, what do I have to know to deal with this guy? And one of the things that he told me was, if you ask good questions, you will get great answers. And that has been the absolute truth. And I've been in many of these uh, gatherings of reporters and listened to many questions where there have been a lot of questions where I thought Torch was going to go off because of the the question itself and the fact that there wasn't much uh, substance to it or much homework behind it. It hasn't gone off. But I've also seen him do it at other times. You just got to be prepared. And and you've, um, you know, if... He knows who's working and who's not working. And I don't care what job it is. It could be the Zamboni driver. It could be a broadcaster. It could be a top-line centerman. He knows who's working and who's not working. And uh, if you're putting the effort into it, uh, you're going to have his utmost respect. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like he gets a bad rap sometimes because you see, like you said, all those YouTube videos. But then you look at behind it and it's like, well, this guy's asking a silly question. You, you play, play silly games, win silly prizes. Well, exactly. Exactly. There was one time, this was a couple of years ago, we were in Winnipeg. And here's the other thing you have to understand about John Tortorella is that he will put on a show, but he does it with a purpose. Um, and it seems like he does it in Canada because he knows it's really going to get picked up on really quickly. But we were in Winnipeg, and the team was not playing well, but there, there was something going on. I can't – might have been a Panarin's situation, but there, there was a what could have been a very distracting situation going on with the team. And he came out for his uh, post-morning skate uh, media gathering, and he just went off about something else. And the entire focus became John Tortorella. He doesn't do that because he wants to be – he doesn't do it because his ego is so big that he has to be the focus of things. He deflected from his players. And the other subject – this is why I don't even remember what it was – because it never came to light. All that came to light was how Torch went off, and it, and it was in Winnipeg, so it was all over the Canadian media within three minutes after it happened, and that was the entire rest of the day. And at that time, I was getting my pregame interview with him after he was done with the regular media, and I remember um, somebody said, well, oh, good luck, that should be fun. And we went off to the side, and it was the same as every other day. And again, it's just, he's a smart guy. And he knows um, he's really a great mental coach, and he's a great motivator. And he he can deflect. He knows how to take that media attention and put it on him so that it is no longer on the players. And, um, you know, that's what a lot of people don't understand. But when you're, you're around it every day and you watch it up close and personal, it's fun to watch. It's especially fun to me to watch the people 
that aren't around and they don't get it and they think something completely different is going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the same kind of way that Joel Quenville was. People are like, "Oh, he's going to be he's going to go crazy on the bench, but then he's just doing it to help his players." And I think like you said, he's doing it to, pro- to deflect from the players, and that's that's such a that shows you what a great guy Tortorella is. Anything you want to say for our listeners in three countries in over 24 different states and provinces throughout the US and Canada? Anything I want to say, well, I hope that everybody is staying safe right now. Uh, hopefully we're going to get back to uh, some kind of normalcy in life in general, not just in hockey. Um, I've had about enough of this, quite frankly, and, and I know it's, it's worse in some places than it is in other places, but, um, you know, it's <laughs> it'll be nice when the weather starts to get warmer here and maybe we can get outside and start to get back to regular things and, and figure out uh, if we're going to be able to get back and finish this NHL season and then how to get the next one started and going. So, um, you know, I know everybody's missing it right now. I know here in Columbus, we're trying to do everything we can to stay engaged with the fans and, um, you know, let them know what's going on and get our players in front of them and, and let them know what's going on with them. So hang in there. And as I said, hopefully we're going to get back to normal here sometime soon. Thank you so much, Bob McGilliott of the of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you.